Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, October 30th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Big tech reports big earnings. Well, at least some companies did. And President Donald Trump is promoting third quarter GDP as a sign of an economic rebound just days away from the U.S. election. And speaking of which, tens of millions of Americans have already cast early ballots for the next U.S. president. But how might these early votes complicate things when votes are counted next week? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. After yet another hearing before U.S. Congress earlier this week, big tech companies reported their latest quarterly earnings on Thursday. Some beat expectations. And some, well, they had investors worried. To break down yesterday's results, I have Richard Waters on the line. He's our West Coast editor and covers all things tech. Richard, let's start with the good. Alphabet shares were up as much as 8% after the bell yesterday. Yeah, if you add in the gain that Alphabet shares got earlier in the day, uh, they added more than $100 billion. So it's been a pretty good day for Alphabet. You know, they are riding a very unexpected rebound in online advertising. The entire advertising sector has taken a bad hit with the coronavirus. And, you know, they were saying that across the board, advertisers are coming back in virtually all categories. If anything, uh, the Google people were trying to play down the scale of these profits. You know, they just received an antitrust suit from the U.S. government. They don't want it to be seen as big tech profiting and benefiting when the rest of the world is suffering. But that's really the way it looks. So, Richard, that that was the good. Um, Where was the middle ground yesterday? Amazon and Facebook didn't seem to do too bad. Facebook beat expectations, not quite as much as Google. But remember, Facebook actually had a boycott by some of its advertisers early this year. And yet, even with that, you know, it's growing at more than 22%. The other element we're all very used to now is e-commerce. And one reason that Amazon is doing so well already is that people are already out there buying for the holidays. I mean, Amazon says, you know, they're, they're already seeing this pickup ahead of what we all expect to be a very difficult period for online deliveries. And it's already starting to feed through in e-commerce numbers. So as a setup to what is coming, which is for all these companies, their most important quarter of the year, things are looking pretty bright. Right. And speaking of which, a big quarter for Apple with the holidays coming up. But last quarter's earnings report drove the company shares down about 5% yesterday. What happened? Yeah, with Apple, we we always knew this was going to be a bit of a quiet quarter for Apple. The next iPhone launch has been delayed. Normally, it comes before the end of the third quarter. All things considered, it wasn't such a bad time for them. It was actually a little better than anyone was expecting. But I think the reason that the stock price is down so much is that unusually Apple didn't give a forecast for its current quarter. You know, how many of those new iPhone 12s is it going to sell? Wall Street spent all year waiting for this super cycle, as everybody's been calling it, of iPhone sales. And we're about to find out whether or not it's going to happen. And Apple did nothing at all to feed that expectation. Richard Waters is our West Coast editor. He covers all things tech. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Mark. How did the markets do yesterday? Well, it depends on which one you're talking about. Oil prices sank on Thursday to the lowest level since May. Brent crude dipped below $37 a barrel. Investors are worried demand will slow with new coronavirus restrictions in place. But equity markets? Different story. After getting thumped on Wednesday, Europe's stock 600 was only down about a tenth of a percent yesterday. 
and the U.S. S&P 500 was up more than 1%. I'm here with the FT's James Politi. He's our Washington Deputy Bureau Chief, and he covers the U.S. economy. James, part of the excitement from U.S. investors came from some encouraging GDP news, but that needs a little contextualizing, doesn't it? Yes, the U.S. economy grew at a pace of 33% in the third quarter, which is a very big number, but we have to bear in mind a couple of things. One is that this is an annualized pace of growth, which is how the U.S. reports GDP. And so it's the pace of growth that would happen if it was unfolding over the full year. If you consider the third quarter compared to the second quarter, the U.S. economy actually grew at a rate of 7.4%, which is, I think, sort of a more accurate way to look at it. The other thing that's important to note is that the U.S. was recorded this very strong growth because it's bouncing back from a very deep hole, which is the recession in the first half of the year that was triggered by all the lockdowns from the pandemic. And we have to remember that we still have about 10.7 million people who had jobs in February who still don't have jobs in the U.S. economy. So um, we bounced back pretty strongly in the third quarter, but it still wasn't enough to get us back to where we were. And, you know, on the case of jobs, uh, jobless claims dropped more than we expected yesterday. Um, What does that tell us about the state of things? Well, so the jobless claims did drop again, and these are the weekly first-time unemployment claims, and that did drop. They're still at a very, very high level, just under 800,000, which is actually a bit higher than the levels that we saw at the height of the financial crisis. So we have to be able to keep some of this data in perspective. Yes, there has been a rebound. The economic conditions are improving maybe even faster than expected a few months ago. But there's still a really long way to go before we get back to anything close to the economy that we had before the pandemic struck. And President Donald Trump has focused his re-election campaign around his ability to rebuild the U.S. economy. But a lot of Americans have already voted before the latest economic data were released. More than 81 million Americans have already cast ballots according to the U.S. Elections Project. To put that into context, that's almost a quarter of the U.S. population, and it's way more than the number of people who voted early in the 2016 election. Here with me now, as he is every Friday during the election campaign, is our Washington Bureau Chief, Dmitry Sevastopoulos. Dmitry, why is voter turnout so high this year? Well, polling shows that Democrats seem to be more concerned about the COVID-19 crisis or less willing to kind of put their own personal safety on the line. But that has coincided with, I would say, on the Democratic side, a massive anti-Trump energy, you know, the kind of anti-Trump feeling that helped produce the record turnout in, in the 2018 midterms and actually allowed the Democrats to win back the House of Representatives. The other point is that Democrats have heard now for months Donald Trump cast aspersion on mail-in ballots, raised the specter of voter fraud, although he hasn't provided any evidence. So I think when you add up all of those factors, what you're seeing is that people are trying to bank their vote much earlier than they would in a normal election year. And that's why you're seeing such high levels of early voting. Now, I want to go back to voter insecurity and just the the security of this election in general. We've seen some attacks on ballot boxes. There have been a few cases of fake ballot boxes being put out. And then there's been cases of outright voter intimidation. Um, 
we've seen a few instances, isolated incidents of Trump supporters carrying large visible guns around polling places. Um, you know, early voting has been around for a number of years. Why are these instances popping up now? It's been exacerbated by a big driving factor, which is that Trump has been urging his supporters to take some of these kind of actions, which no president in living memory has ever done. You know, he's made so many unfounded claims about voter fraud, uh, which, by the way, his own FBI director has said are not true, that some of his supporters believe that if he has lost the election on Tuesday night, the only way that that was possible was that the election was stolen because of fraud, because how could Donald Trump lose? So he, he knows that, and he's trying to kind of stoke those tensions ahead of time. And I think the final point, which sometimes we forget because the pandemic has been going on now for so long, is tensions are high in general because everyone is under a lot of stress, whether it's economic stress or mental health problems from having to to live through this pandemic. And so I think all of that is having a massive impact on society and is probably playing into the politics in ways that sometimes we can't always see so obviously. So, uh, Dimitri, all of this has Americans bracing for a contested election. What will it look like in the short term if we do have a contested election? Messy. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. You know, the thing is that even if everything goes smoothly, we may not know the result of the election on the evening of Tuesday, November 3rd or the early hours of Wednesday, because some states like Pennsylvania, for example, won't even have counted all of the mail-in ballots by then. If, you know, it looks like there's a landslide for Biden on Tuesday night, then it will be very hard for Trump to contest the result. But if the outcome's closer and it looks like Trump has lost, he has made clear he might not accept the result and he has refused to commit to a peaceful transfer of power a couple of times now, which is the kind of thing that you hear in authoritarian regimes and not the United States of America. But again, if things are close, we are likely to have legal battles that will wind their way up into the Supreme Court. And you know, this week, uh, Donald Trump was successful in installing Amy Coney Barrett, the conservative judge who succeeded Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was the very progressive judge who recently died from cancer, onto the Supreme Court. And there is now either a 6-3 or 5-4 conservative liberal split on the court, which could have an impact on any um, election-related ruling. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. 
By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.